knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Welcome to the Truth From the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 292. Today, I'm joined by KC Smith of The Element, and we're covering how travel hunting helps adapt your game and applying what you learn. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. We are now in the month of July when antler growth is going to be popping off. This is the time that you 
really kind of see um, you separate the men from the boys, I guess you could say in 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 one way. You're gonna really kind of be able to tell the deer that you have on camera this month uh, what they're ultimately gonna probably turn into for the um, most part. The month of July, they put on the most amount of inches uh, during the course of this month. Of course, August is a little bit of a finishing month. Um, you get a little bit more there, but they're gonna do the majority of their of their popping um, during during the next couple weeks. I actually just got back from vacation spent some time in the finger lakes in new york did a little boating did a little beaching it was awesome that place that area is beautiful i love spending time there um actually i need to figure out a way to spend more time there i think um i'm, I'm realizing I'm, I'm kind of a lake guy i like the lake i like the water uh, i like being on a boat i like all the stuff that kind of happens around it we did a little bit of horseback riding too uh so it was really kind of an outdoorsy type of uh vacation which was uh, was a lot of fun but Usually when I do my vacation around this time of year, the 4th of July, when I get back, it's kind of whitetails uh, and hunting uh, full court press from from here on out at this point. I have a few cameras that I still have to get out, which I'll probably get out next weekend. Most of mine have been out since, um, you know, I don't even know when, February, March. Um, but I do have a handful of them that I need to kind of uh, that I need to kind of put out in some key locations. And then uh, probably make my first kind of camera check to see who is in and around the area. I'm not going to go hog wild and crazy and check every single camera. Probably ones that are close by. You know, some of the new ones that I've put out in some new spots. I, I of course, will check those just to kind of make sure that they are gathering inventory. Um, places that I have that are kind of old faithfuls and standbys. If I'm in the general area, I'll swing by and check just to make sure nothing weird has happened and you know the uh, SD card isn't full that I didn't have like a bunch of false triggers or whatever but for the most part the ones that I kind of know uh, love and trust I'll probably just let those soak and I'll uh, I'll check those out you know right as my season kicks off which for me it'll be right around the 17th of September I think is uh, opening but you know what really signifies things kind of ramping up for me is you know got my PA license in the mail um, and uh, you have to submit your doe tags and stuff like that so I actually did that uh, this past Sunday morning, um, it was time to get those in in Pennsylvania for the first round for us residents. So sent that in, and that's always kind of an exciting morning. I get up, have my coffee, fill everything out, put it in the mail. Uh, the pink envelope, my PA brothers and sisters, you'll know what I'm talking about. A little bit of a pain in the ass. Wish they would just kind of make that all um, digital and be able to do it online. You can buy your license online now. Uh, so I don't know why we can't buy our doe tags online. But hopefully one day we'll remedy that. The only other big news... Well, I guess two other hunting-related things. Right before I left for vacation, I actually went out to my buddies, uh, Bob and AJ's, the archery shop that I that I uh, that I go to. If you're in the area, you should check those guys out. Super good dudes uh, out there. But I went out. I was going to just basically get my bow tuned because I got the new um, Exos MMT arrows, and was basically just going out saying, "Hey, you know, check me out. Make sure my my center shot's good. You know, just basically early season tune-up. I always take my bow out there and have those guys just kind of give me a once-over." as the season's kind of getting up and, and ready to roll. And I happened to shoot a handful of bows um, just on a whim. And uh, maybe I'll make a video about it, but I'll be, I actually, I'm going to shoot a new bow this year. I was kind of set on not shooting a new bow uh, for this upcoming season, but uh, I was hanging out. Uh, AJ and I were just at the, at the shop chopping it up and uh, was checking out some different bows. And I'm there's the one brand that I, I usually not that I like or dislike. It was more so just like all their bows previously. I was just never a huge fan of, um, but the new, uh, the new Hoyt carbon fibers, um, the 30 inch, uh, axle to axle bow. Um, I think it's the RX seven, if I'm not mis mistaken, something, something to that effect. Um, he, 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 
put it in my hand. He's like, Hey, he's like, this is probably one of the best shooting bows I've ever, I've ever shot. He's like, you, you should check it out if you're kind of interested in maybe, you know, checking out some new bows. So I shot it and probably shouldn't have shot it because once I shot it, I didn't want to not shoot it. So, um, that's actually what I'm going to be shooting this year. So I left that with, with AJ at the shop and have to actually find some time to go out and get it this, uh, this week, um, and pick it up. Cause he, he was setting it up for me, changing all my stuff over from my previous bow. Um, but you know, the funny thing is between that bow and the new arrows that I'm, that I'm shooting, um, he had the bow before I, as I was leaving his shop, I was driving home. And as I was driving home, I mean, I, I was maybe five minutes down the road or whatever. He texted me a picture of basically a perfect bullet hole that, you know, I took in one of my MMT arrows from Exodus that I wanted to make sure he was using, you know, he uses that to, to dial my bow. And so he's using the arrows I'm going to be hunting with and stuff. Um, and perfect bullet hole in like no time at all. So tuned up really easy. Arrows were flying good. And, uh, that bow will be ready to roll. And now I just need to go pick it up, get my sight tape set up and I'll be ready to rock and roll with a new bow for this year. Um, the other thing that I did, you know, if, if it was jam packed, even though I wasn't home for a week, man, I jam packed a lot of stuff in on Sunday and right before I left, I actually, I actually went and did a little glassing this time of year. I like to kind of do a drive by. I haven't hit all my areas yet, but I'd like to do a little drive by, uh, of any of the crop fields that are close. Now, most of the places I hunt don't have crop fields adjacent to them. Um, really any of them, to be honest with you. Um, but what I like to do is just kind of find out what's in the area. Um, because even though, you know, a crop field might be a mile or whatever away from where I'm hunting, that might be the best destination food source that they, you know, that they might have during the course of the, during the course of the summer. So I'll go kind of drive by and I want to know what the crop rotation is. You know, I kind of know what it is just from years of looking at some of these similar spots. I know, you know, last year it was corn, so this year it's going to be beans, but I always just like to do a drive by and kind of confirm that stuff. Um, because there are some spots where the best bedding, you know, the best secondary bedding off of some of those food sources are near some public pieces that I can uh, that I can hunt, especially for early season. Because my part of the, uh, my part of the state comes in early, I can sometimes get a bead on a buck early and maybe make a a uh, quick strategic strike uh, during that first like week, maybe two weeks of the season before uh, October hits, and they fully kind of disperse and, and and shift. I might be able to get like a week if I know where something might be uh, laying its head to try to make something happen. So last night I actually went out and did some glassing, this first glassing session of the, of the summer and saw one decent buck. Um, you know, if he continues to pack on inches during the course of July, which he should, um, he should be a pretty decent deer, uh, for the upcoming season. So that's always kind of a fun thing to do is the first glassing session of the summer. But with that, that is basically my update, uh, for this week. Uh, pretty stoked that hunting season is just going to, you know, a couple turnarounds here and I'll be getting ready to leave for Idaho. Um, have everything kind of ready for that. And otherwise just going to sit, wait, monitor cameras and, uh, try to keep myself calm until, until hunting season lands. But with that, before we jump into today's show, have a quick piece of housekeeping that I want to give you guys a quick update on. Um, our buddies over at Exodus, uh, they're they're kicking off as they do every year their annual Velvet Fest campaign. If you're not familiar with Velvet Fest, this is the official start to deer season, as I just mentioned, kind of checking for all those those, those velvet bucks and and so forth. But Exodus is helping get the ball rolling for everyone's uh, summer scouting. I know when Velvet Fest hits, it means it's time to get all the cameras out. If they're not already deployed, this is the time to do it to make sure you have everything into the timber. But from July 15th through August 19th. They'll have some awesome prizes for people who use the hashtag, hashtag VelvetFest, all one word, on social media showing their whitetail adventures. Also, if you're in the market for a trail camera, VelvetFest 
will be the perfect opportunity to get ready for the season. Exodus will be sending out exclusive savings through their email newsletter throughout the campaign, so be sure to head over to ExodusOutdoorGear.com and sign up for their newsletter to get those. But to get things started, save 20% on any multiple Exodus render or any render bundle for the first 100 orders. Use the code VELVETFEST, that's all one word, V-E-L. L-V-E-T-F-E-S-T to lock in these awesome summer savings. Every single camera ordered comes with a random prize card. I've been told uh, it includes some pretty uh, kick-ass stuff, including the all-new Exodus MMT tailored arrows. Over the last seven years, Exodus has consistently shown they build quality gear that flat out works, and of course, they have the best trail camera warranty, period. Every single camera is backed by the five-year warranty and comes with a theft and damage coverage. Yep. Five years, literally half a decade, you'll be covered by the Exodus five-year warranty. But more than likely, you won't need it because the cameras are already built to last. They also uh, launched the Exodus MMT this summer. That's the arrow I'm going to be hunting with this year. It's a tailored arrow built to your specifications using nothing but the highest-grade components, period. Head to their website and use the 3D Builder and experience the best shooting uh, hunting arrow available. As I mentioned, I, I, I was able to play around with this a little bit and shot it. Uh, prior to getting my new bow and then my new bow using this arrow tuned up in a matter of minutes. So make sure you check out the new arrows that Exodus have uh, have on their website. Be sure to uh, take part of the Velvet Fest celebration and be sure to tag uh, Exodus uh, because they'll want to see what you guys are up to this summer. So with that, have a uh, cool show for you guys today. Have my buddy KC Smith on from The Element. I'm sure a lot of you guys are familiar with uh, KC and the element crew, they do a great job filming their hunts, have a bunch of cool videos um, every year. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate about what they do is it's just a really kind of honest view into into their hunting hunting adventures. You know, they they hunt all over the country. <clears throat> you know, they're big travel hunters uh, doing it primarily. I, I don't want to say 100 percent, but I, I would say pretty close to 100 percent on on public land. And they just get after after some monsters. And the one thing that Casey and I talked about was a little bit about that travel hunting and how you know, how it kind of helps us, um, learn to adapt by seeing new, new ground and so forth. Especially we talk a little bit about ground hunting. Cause I know that, um, you know, Casey specifically, um, likes to hunt the plain States. Um, and that's something I started doing last year and I'm headed back uh, to the plains again this year. Um, and it's just that we talk a little bit about that learning curve that it takes, uh, you know, when you move from, you know, hunting Texas, you know, where, where Casey's at or hunting Pennsylvania, where I'm at, and going to those plain states where you're really kind of glassing and spotting and stalking, somewhat hunting it like you're hunting, hunting you know, western big game to a degree, uh, but relying on your skill set from the ground more often than not than being in a tree. So with that, it was a super cool conversation. Hope you guys dig it as much as I did. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of The Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have... What we affectionately, I think what how he's referred to in the community is everybody's best friend, Mr. KC <laughs> Smith from The Element. What's going on, brother? Oh, not a lot, man. Just kind of hot from the Texas heat. Um, it only got to like a balmy 97 a day here, so it's not too bad. But we're looking at uh, about nine days over 100 degrees on the extended forecast right now. So, um, you know, just trying to hide what we do all summer <laughs> us and the deer but all just panting and waiting on the fall yeah i hear that man I, yeah. I thought it was bad here today it was uh i think it was 89 and i was like i was like goodness i was like i'm, re I'm ready to do some hide you know it's like <laughs> it's all relative yeah know? yeah it's like truth be told yeah. it's like i'm gonna after we're done here i'm actually gonna run to the gym like to the jujitsu gym and, and roll uh 
but there is no air conditioning in that warehouse. So oh. that thing is just like a hot box sauna when you uh, during the <laughs> summer. So I'm gonna go get myself a little taste of Texas here, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the yeah form for of sure. A, in the form of a roll, but uh, you'll get the uh, the humidity in there. All those uh, sweaty guys in there rolling around. You know, it'll be. Oh. Nice and muggy and disgusting, just oh, like it is here. Yeah, you walk <laughs> you walk in that place and you feel like uh, you feel like you just took a shower. Like the mats are all like completely wet already. Like it feels like it's mm-hmm. raining in there. The best uh, I used to live in Orlando for a long time, for about ten years. And the best kind of description of Florida weather that I've ever heard someone give was like, Florida weather is like if you went and you took a shower and you got out and then you just put your clothes on. Like you didn't like yep. towel off or anything. You just Dude, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And it's not, it's not that bad where we live. Um, it is hot, but the, we get a little bit of dryness. We still have Gulf humidity, but I used to live down South of Houston. If you can imagine there being such a thing as South, South of Houston. And that's exactly it. Dude, I would work out in the gym in the mornings, take a shower and then go to work all day and just never dry off all day long. Right. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. So are you from, are you from South Texas? Is that where? No, I'm from. I'm from Northeast Texas, actually. That's that's where I was born and raised um, on the shores of Lake Fork. If anybody has ever uh, been in the bass fishing world too much, Lake Fork's a famous bass fishing lake for largemouth. Um, so that's where I was born and raised. And then I've traveled the state and working all over the place, doing all kinds of jobs. So I've been all across the Lone Star State. Right. Now, are you, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't you guys doing the element full full time now? Or did I miss yeah yeah uh, so that's a a recent blessing for sure we've uh we've been working at this thing for about six years Tyler and i doing stuff together and uh this year we're going to be able to go full-time now that doesn't mean uh you know buying new uh dually trucks and jet skis anyway <laughs> by any means full-time you know but we've been putting full-time effort for a few years and, and uh this year we're going to get to uh really go after this thing so it, it's pretty exciting man and i've uh, been very blessed uh throughout these opportunities for sure that's awesome man what uh what is the Thanks. one thing what is the one thing like looking back on it right all six years of you know just working diligently and hope you know hoping one day that it would you know kind of get to a point to where that that you know you can make that your full-time deal like what was the point like what was the point where you were like you know what this might actually work was there like a like an aha moment where you were like, man, this thing actually, we might actually do this? <laughs> um, let me think for just a second. Um, I would say that that never really came in business. Like I still don't have um, good confidence in the business of things. <laughs> if that makes any <laughs> sense, uh, even though that you know, like. Things are going to be fine, and and if God wills it, we will continue. But like, uh, I think it was more in like learning how to travel and hunt and get it all on film because I've I've hunted my whole life and I know how to how to go out and be successful. Or this is a hunting podcast; we can say kill, right? I know how to go kill deer. Exactly. You know? um, not uh, not bragging by any means, you know. But if I work hard at it, I can make something happen. But. Uh, Put it all together on film, just in different parts of the country. That's kind of the aha, and I think that happened uh, November twenty third of twenty twenty. Hmm. Uh, I killed a public land buck traveling across the Midwest by myself, uh, self filming, and got it all on film. And I think at that moment I was like, you know what? 
I can do this. You know, I'm not just a carpenter who deer hunts a little bit. I can, I can, I can put a production together and, and put something out that hopefully people care to look at. So, uh, I think that was kind of my aha moment there. Nice. What, uh, how long, how long were you self filming and stuff before it started? Cause I'll be honest with you, man. It's I've mm-hmm. self filmed on and off for several years and I always, every year without fail, I get to a point in the season where I'm like, man, I am ditching this camera stuff. I'm done. Like, you know what I mean? I always start off with the great intentions exactly. and I take it every hunt and I'm stoked on it, you know, and I'll, and I'll get some really good B roll of like maybe a buck that I passed or whatever the case is, Yeah, you know, and, and then it'll either cost me a deer because I was messing with the camera and not paying attention, you know what I mean? Or didn't get, mm-hmm. didn't get set up the right way quickly enough or whatever the case yeah. is. Or sometimes it just becomes, I'm in one of those funky trees where it's just hard to get set up in and I'm messing with the camera. I'm just like, you know what? I've spent 10 minutes trying to get this thing set up and like, I just want to hunt and I'm done. Like mm-hmm. how long, how long did it take you before it was like, you could actually integrate filming, self filming into your hunts seamlessly where it wasn't like a complete burden. Well, I don't mean to discourage you, but I don't know if it's ever seamless, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, so uh, let's just do a little timeline of, of like how hunting and filming kind of came together for me. I, uh, I met Tyler, I think in 2015 and we started hanging out a little bit in 2016. Uh, we actually were gonna, uh, he was going to come down to the coast where I lived and do some red fishing with me. Well, that still has never happened as, as <laughs> long as we've been friends. Nice. Uh, but that's how it started, you know, just, uh, dreaming about things to do and then ends up I like to hunt and he liked to hunt so we ended up talking about that instead well that fall he decided to go film me some because I um, hunted public land locally and he he um, normally had a deer lease with his dad elsewhere so anytime he was around here he didn't really have a lot of places that he knew to go so he started going with me and kind of being cameraman and I just would hunt he'd be like hey you're cool if I bring the camera or like yeah man totally whatever mm-hmm. you know um, I kind of don't meet strangers and that includes cameras so I, I now by no means was i just totally natural back then on film you know but like right. yeah, i was like whatever i don't i don't care you know so uh, we started filming a little bit of stuff and i didn't have to mess with cameras at all back then he was just filming me and then the next year he's like hey man or actually you know, throughout that spring we kind of made a plan of, of trying to film our hunts and stuff and that's when i started diving into the self-filming game and learning how difficult it can be and it costs me dear just like what you're talking about but there comes a point in time where you just have to commit to um and i'm not trying to give you advice you do what you want to do but uh, for us it came to a time where it's like you just have to commit to getting things on film and that being your primary objective and there will probably be a lot of guys who have a problem with that statement and that's okay too um because people oftentimes are like, well, your primary objective is to go out and, um, you know, enjoy creation or kill a deer and bring it home and eat it or whatever. And yeah, that's, that's definitely all wrapped up in it, but we wanted to get things on film. So you just kind of have to just say that you're going to do it and you're going to miss out on some deer, uh, because of it. And I think with that, what makes you able to make that commitment is just committing yourself to being in the being in the woods more you know if you're a guy who gets like six to 12 days a year that you you know you get pto or whatever and that's you're gonna hunt like man filming might not be for you much over like a gopro or a tactic cam or something that you can just you know step on your bow just because like 
just the law of averages means you're not going to have as many encounters as somebody who has a little bit more time. So don't waste that encounter trying to get on film when it's the only one, you know? Right. So uh, I think that after committing to it for about a season, I got to where I was pretty good at it. And well, I don't want to say it that way. You get what I'm saying. I got you, to where you I felt, felt like you I felt could you could ex- you could execute it is what you felt. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Just like, you know, shooting a deer with a bow, you know, you, you get to a point where you're proficient and you're like, this is a part of my system and I can do this. Now, just like with a bow shooting a deer, sometimes things can still go wrong. And that happens as well. Whether you don't forget to hit the record button or the deer walks out of frame and, you know, there's all kinds of little things that, uh, that can go wrong with, with filming a hunt. Right. And then, uh, now we've kind of come full circle, uh, for the past, so I'm counting 22, our current year as year three. So for the past three years, we have attempted to have uh, cameramen of some sort, uh, either interns or this year we actually have a paid employee, which I'm very thankful for Eric. He's he's a champ. He, he does a good job. Um, we had an intern one year that didn't go very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he uh, kind of skipped out on us about halfway through. And then uh, uh, Eric came along last year and recorded a bunch of stuff. And there was some learning curve involved and stuff, but he was most of all tough. So he was always there, right. you know, doing his best. And, you know, uh, that's, I can deal with that, you know, like we'll learn the camera stuff, man. If you're tough and you're, you know, you don't complain about being cold or tired or whatever. Like, yeah. Let's do this thing. So now I don't have to worry about self filming near as much anymore. So nice. I'm very <laughs> thankful for that too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's six and one half dozen in the other for me. Cause I've done a trip where I had a camera guy for the whole, the whole thing. And, uh, huh. That was awesome. It was my buddy Zach, great, uh, uh, great videographer and photographer, um, and he's just he's also a, a like a hardcore like public land hunter too. So he's familiar uh-huh. with the grind and all that stuff. And he yeah. was, and but it still was like tricky. It was different for me having a second person in the tree. And mm-hmm. man, you better you better be able to like that person because you on a hunt traveling, you know, because this was a travel hunt that we were on, and you're gonna be all up in each other's business for a lot of days. <laughs> You're going to be sleeping mm-hmm. together, eating together, sitting in a tree together, yeah. you know, being right next to that guy. You, know, you can't be pee scared. If you got a cameraman, you know, like you're yeah. liable to be touching shoulders and trying to use the bathroom. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And is, you know, and yeah. hope that they, you know, that they have like the same type of like in the tree hunting acumen where no yes. one to move, no one not to move, you know, and, and I was, mm-hmm. I was lucky where Zach's killer. So, you know, I, we had no problems with, with that, but I've also heard some horror stories just, you know, where, where it didn't, where it didn't work. You know, for me, yeah. I'm, I'm primarily self image like where it really bit me was I was messing with my camera. I, I was on a out of state hunt. I was actually in Iowa. It was a public land hunt and I was catching some decent deer on, on film. And I got a beat on where I thought a good deer was at. And I found some killer hot sign. I set up on it. And wouldn't you know, within like 45 minutes of setting up on that sign, here came this like hammer, mid wooden 40s, maybe a little bit bigger eight point, right? So like big mm. for an eight point. And oh, toad. I, had a cam- I had the camera and I was moving it around and there was a scrape that he was coming up to check. And I was like, all right, this is where he's going to be. And so I kind of moved my camera around and got it in position, was getting ready. And I was looking down at it, trying to make sure it was recording, making sure I didn't bump it. And I drew back and I just, I rushed the shot and I missed. And it was because mm, like at the man. last second he moved and I had to like move around the tree and I had to move the camera around to get over there. 
And when I did, I had just a second to draw, got drawn, and I had more time than I thought I did. But I just rushed the shot because, you know, it happens a lot, right? You yeah, usually have another absolutely. second or two than you usually think that you do to take your time and make mm-hmm. the shot. And I just rushed it because I was getting all flushed with just doing some different things that I hadn't been as familiar doing. And I ended up missing that deer. And mm-hmm. that Man, made me, that's tough. Yeah. And the kicker, you know what the kicker is? I never hit record. Oh, no. <laughs> so you don't have footage of the deer at all. I don't ah! have footage of him at all. Like nothing. I didn't kill him and I didn't get him on film. So... <laughs> It was, so that was the last day the camera went on into the woods on that trip. That was it. That's a high stakes trip too, man. You know, like Iowa only comes around every so often. Yeah. You know, cause you got to draw it. So it's like, gosh, that's, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Now I did make amends. I did make amends and kill a buck on the very last day of the, of the hunt. So it was like on the 16th day of the hunt, I actually filled the tag. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, but you know, that still has never has never left me. So to your point where you have to commit, you know what I mean? The way I kind of commit to it when I go into a hunt, you know, because like my primary thing isn't my YouTube channel. It's the, it's the podcast. So I go and mm-hmm. I'm like, if I can get the deer on film for, for like, then I will. But my first mm-hmm. priority is, is me shooting, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of way I walk in is like, this is the objective. And if I can, if the filming can happen as a, as a byproduct, then awesome. If not, I'm not mm-hmm. going to let it, I'm not going to let it, you know, uh, force a bad shot or whatever the case is. Yes. Yes, for sure. You know, that's a, that's a big thing now, honestly, this year, there's a good chance Tyler and I will, will have a camera person with us the whole time. And that'll be so helpful because then we get to go back to that mentality because truth be told outdoor TV for a long time has told us, you got to get the kill shot. You got to get the kill shot. Well, most people are actually really forgiving about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, tell a good story and get some good pre-roll of a deer you know um it's up to the hunter when to take the shot and the cameraman gets what he can that's at least that's how we operate you know and and if he can't get it on film then you know so what man it's still the experience of the hunt that we were all there for you oh, know that's so big, that's that's the big thing right yeah. it's like i want to feel like mm-hmm. you were you were there like one of my favorite hunts you guys did and we'll talk about it in a little bit but was the one deer that you double lunged and it was a whole like it was, it was crazy, a crazy episode. Right. But like a fiasco, it yes. was a fiasco. Right. <laughs> but it's like, I actually, I mean, you were kind of creeping up and I don't want to bury the lead, but you were creeping up over this thing. And like, I couldn't see the deer on camera, but I knew what was going mm-hmm. on. And then you saw the deer take off. And it's like, to me, that didn't change the uh, intrigue of the hunt at all. It actually, yeah. it added a little bit to it, to be quite honest. That's cool. Yeah, man. I'm glad you liked that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That was, a. Uh, that was uh, totally by design. We directed it that way, and that's exactly how we remember. <laughs> it was like that's how we that's how we storyboarded that thing, you know. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. But I know you like to travel a lot, dude. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. we'll get to some travel hunting stuff. But you know, we were talking a little bit before we hopped on here off, you know, when we were offline about just hunting in Texas in in general because I have an interest in coming to Texas at at some point. But I think yeah. that there's a lot of miss like conceptions about texas and how to hunt texas and what is available to hunt texas and things like that so i guess can you just i'm a a lay person when it comes to this i don't know really anything about it either so what like how what how is texas from a hunting perspective because i think the thing that people think about is like high fence ranches and things of that nature right where i you know i watch stuff that you guys put out and, and i know some know some other guys that hunt texas and that's 
that's not necessarily their experience. That experience is there to be had, but that's not necessarily what they're doing. So can you talk to me yes. a little bit about, you know, your home state and how you, how you hunt it and, and maybe even the differences between there and like things you experience in other places. Yeah, man, I'd love to. So the thing that I think a lot of people, um, kind of forget is how huge Texas is. It's the size of Poland. Okay. Hmm. It's, uh, the third biggest state in in the nation and one of those is alaska which is half of our country right, right so right. like um california and texas are pretty much the same size state so texas takes like if you were to drive from uh texarkana which is kind of near where i'm at in east texas go all the way to el paso uh you you could get to miami from texarkana before you can or before you can get to el paso oh wow uh, yeah, same goes for um, Amarillo to South Padre Island, which is Amarillo is still two hours from the northern border of Texas. But you can get um, to like, gosh, what is it? I think you might be able to almost get to Minneapolis-St. Paul in the same amount of time as you can get to South Padre. Wow. Uh, might not quite be that. Far. But yeah, so Texas is huge, right? So with that comes so many different hunting cultures and styles which is unique and neat i don't i wouldn't say that i participate in all of them and uh i I don't how do i say this uh i don't really want to be a part of all of it i'm not going to tell people that they're doing things completely wrong and they're stupid you know but Mm -hmm. there's some things that i'm not as big a fan of and that's just kind of how things go but overall texas is definitely not a strictly high fence state Mm -hmm. but what texas is is a very private land oriented state you know we have i think 2.2 percent public land and only 1.7 of that is actually huntable and i think about i haven't ever seen the actual stat but i think that about half of that is going to either be limited entry or not even allow uh big game hunting so you're looking at a really, really small amount of public land that you can go out and chase a deer with a gun or a bow. So uh, that's that's part of why Texas gets kind of the um, look that it does from the outside looking in, because any hunting production you see from here is usually guys coming in and going to some type of ranch because there's really no other option to do. Right. Because uh, you know, it's just not like who wants to go to Texas? <laughs> And go just hunt on a random WMA that, you know, is just subpar hunting when you can go and and do the the Sendero thing and the Mesquites down there in central or south Texas, you know. So right. it's so different. The the habitat across the state varies so much. Where I live, I'm my truck right now is parked under eighty foot tall pine trees and I'm surrounded by other oak trees and stuff too, and it's a little bit hilly. You head to the central part of the state and you've got pretty big hills and you've got live oaks clear water streams and limestone and then you head further south and you've got mesquite flats and uh cactus head out west and you got you know the trans-pecos region that's desert and then you got the high plains that's more like nebraska in the panhandle you know it's it's just so different and weird um what's what's the so not a ton of public per se what's the uh i mean does it get a ton of pressure i mean i'm from pennsylvania and public land yeah, here sure. is it, I, it, we just have a ton of pressure we have a lot of a lot of hunter numbers i know texas has a lot of hunter numbers too so 
So I'm just mm-hmm. curious what that pressure looks like on those on those pieces. I mean, is it just com- completely beat up, or can you still kind of find some hidey holes? Uh, yeah. You can definitely still find some holes. Um, we've done a lot of public land hunting in Texas and struck out real bad and had a little bit of success, too. Uh, I think overall, I find that um, the, the uh, open walk-in stuff that anybody can go hunt on is pretty heavily pressured and and i don't want to say mismanaged because i i don't know all their management plans and all but it seems as if the deer densities and population levels are lower than the surrounding private land areas so it seems as if uh it's geared towards opportunity as opposed to quality for a lot of the uh walk-in stuff now you go down further south like southeast you got a couple big national forests and uh, that's really good opportunity for people because it's actually really big chunks of land and a lot of it it's just not a area of the state that's traditionally known to have a high population density or uh trophy quality so you can go down there and hunt some deer but uh this might be kind of tough right um one of the things about texas not to derail us too far is that uh anywhere you find deer you usually can find hogs and now, I find that a lot of out-of-state guys, especially, just as pumped up about shooting a pig as they are about shooting deer. So, yeah. uh, you know, that, there is always that opportunity thrown in there uh, as well. So that kind of helps make up a little bit of the difference, I think. Right. Yeah. I've never hog hunted. It's something I've always wanted to do. I've just never had the opportunity to. Um, yeah. And it's, I think it's one of those things, like for at least us East Coasters, you know, it's not something that's readily available to us. So it's kind of unique, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, absolutely. So I've yeah. always kind of, you know, and look, I like bacon. You know, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, <laughs> so. <laughs> they're delicious, man. Yeah. I actually used to work for the. I used to work for the state uh, doing feral hog control was a big part of my job. And uh, yeah, you know, after all those times, I we, I did a ton of disease testing and all kinds of stuff, and I was a little wary of it at first. But now I still I I love eating wild pigs. I that's what um, we don't buy meat except for a little bit of chicken. That's mm-hmm. all my family buys, you know, and uh, if I could figure out how to raise turkeys at my house, I'm, I won't even buy that. So nice. I'm working on it. I promise. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, funny awesome. enough, anecdotally, we live in a part of the country that does not have wild turkeys, which is kind of crazy. Um, so I have to raise them. Yeah, but, that is uh, crazy. Uh, I bet uh, 40% of our meat is wild hog meat and it is absolutely delicious. It's one of the best things you can, you can take home. It's uh it's definitely different than deer. You know, it's, it's not in the venison category, but it's, it's very tasty. Nice. Yeah. It looks like I'm going to have to yeah. put a, a hog hunt on my, uh, on my itinerary one of these years and make that. Yeah, you should, man. It's a, it's so much more readily available. And even if you, uh, are open to, uh, a pay to play situation, you know, they, they have high fence hog hunts, which I think are kind of silly, but, um, there, there are plenty of places that, you know, it's like a 150, dollar a day type thing and you can go out and and shoot pigs and use whatever means you want to and go home with some really good meat so it's a it's definitely much a um you know uh i'll just say poor man's type thing you know like it's it's a thing that's readily available for a lot of people and can be done uh outside of your normal hunting seasons you know it's during january february or uh or in march we're just that's what we do, man. We chase pigs around with bows and it's so much fun. <laughs> nice. I was, so I was just going to say, it's like, it could be a nice little supplemental kind of piece to my hunting season to extend it, which would be, and that's yeah, not, absolutely. That's not cost prohibitive necessarily. 
Yeah, and also not uh, negative 10 degrees or whatever y'all get up north. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. Most of the time. We've had a couple cold spells the last few years, but down here, you know, a normal January day is uh, high in the high 50s and a low around frost, you know? So, right, like, right. You're, you're looking at a pretty nice weather for stalking animals. Right. So, man, you know, being in Texas, you get all these different places, you know, different types of habitat mm-hmm. to hunt and stuff like that. And, again, you know, I, I know you like to travel to, to hunt and things of that. Uh, things of that nature yeah. whenever you do that you know it's it requires you to be able to kind of adapt to the different places that you're going because you're going to have different terrain some places may have trees some places may not have trees like whatever the case is so i'm just curious mm-hmm. you know how has how has how did your hunting style kind of start maybe before you started traveling a lot versus yeah. how has it evolved that now that you've been kind of you know since you started traveling a ton Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Sure. Yeah, that's a that's a neat thing to talk about, man, because it really does change you and honestly, like even change the way you traditionally did stuff where you started hunting mm-hmm. because you learn so much when you travel. Um, of course, in the field is going to be the thing that is, uh, you know, the, the shiny thing to talk about. Right. But even just like the way you prepare and the way you scout and do all that stuff as well, like changes a lot. But as far as like actual hunting goes, you know, for a long time, I was a guy, well, when I first started hunting, uh, we had a deer lease in central Texas and I was mostly a rifle hunter out of a box blind over a uh, bait pile. And that's the way it's done in Texas. Bait's always been legal. I don't know if it'll ever not be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely for anybody who has never hunted a bait state as we call them it's not money in the bank like you might think it would be it's still pretty tough deer get real wise just like they're coming into a food source like acorns or uh persimmons or whatever like uh you know bucks especially know what they're doing around those those things and uh honestly where i live the average property size is probably like 12 acres so there's a corn feeder at least every 20 acres Hmm. um you know it it ends up not being all as cracked up right but Anyway, so that's how I started hunting, uh, and then I kind of developed a love for archery hunting, but still like in permanent stands. Uh, I shot my first buck out of a semi-permanent stand. Uh, I actually filmed that deer. That actually might come out on our YouTube channel this summer. That's going to be pretty cool because that was in 2005, I think. Nice. I shot my first archery buck. Yeah, and uh, definitely a baby face KC shooting a bow <laughs> from the early 90s, you know. Right. Dude, I don't. I don't know how it happened, but I no range finders, of course, right? Range finders were new technology in right. 2005. That was high. That was, high for, that, was, that was bougie. Yeah, no, yeah, man. I didn't have a chance at one of those things. <laughs> I was a high school kid hunting in my leather steel toe boots, you know, and yeah. uh, I think I had um, some type of Walmart camo on and uh, maybe a pair of blue jeans. I don't even know, but uh, <laughs> I uh, just saw this buck come out. I was hunting kind of a, a hayfield edge and he walked out into the pasture and I grunt stopped him and 
shot him and guessed him at 35 yards and absolutely ripped him, you know, double lunged him just to <laughs> guess at 30. And then I was like, okay, cool. And now looking back, I'm like, dude, how on earth did you pull that off? You right, know? Right. With, a, with a bow. And I did the whole dumb thing where you like shoot your field points all year and you're like, oh, that's good. And then you screw your, your broadheads on right. and put them on. You know, who knows what my era did? It might have just dropped right into it, you know, like just doing a corkscrew and it worked right. out. I don't know. But. Uh. <laughs> You know, humble beginnings for sure. And then starting to hunt public land, you know, there's technically rules about how you're not supposed to leave your stands too long, this and that. And those mm-hmm. things always get broken, but I never had enough money to set up like four or five different stands. So I always carried the same one and I either left it in one spot or I'd leave it there for a week and then move it when I saw, see deer moving elsewhere and all that. Um, and then I finally found a really good spot. This is uh let me think about some dates here this would have been the uh fall of 2013 so about nine years ago um i I had scouted a place ended up being like a 1.7 mile distance walk uh and got to the point where i couldn't do that with a big heavy stand so i was like well how am i going to make this work and so that's kind of where my mobile hunting kind of started i was still using a, a steel stand and mm-hmm. and uh all that you know but i had to figure out the steps thing and how to bring them in and all that and uh and that's when i finally kind of had the thought of being mobile with hunting but it's not like it stuck or that's the way i started doing things all the time it's just i learned that you could do that right and then you know so on and so forth uh you start wanting to venture out and understand um you know, the concept of blowing out spots or the concept of feeling pressure from other hunters or whatever it is that might be a circumstance that makes you want to move. And then you realize how advantageous it is to be able to hop around. Uh, so then Tyler and I, went to once we started hunting together, we went to using tree stands that had brackets on them, you know, like those little muddy pros or whatever they were called, um, or Vantage, that's what it was. Um, and we use those things a lot. And they were super comfortable, but it was kind of loud to put up and still kind of cumbersome. Uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I remember Tyler and I talking back then and we're like, man, it'd be, it'd be cool to have a saddle. You know, I, I see those guys talk about this stuff. And, and Tyler, <laughs> I remember saying to him one time, he was like, man, I don't know if you'd be comfortable on those things. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, you're probably right. And it looks real uncomfortable. Yeah. And then uh, about three years ago, we got a couple to try out. And they were like, you know, this isn't too bad. And now, like, yeah, I'm either saddle half the time or I'm on the ground half the time. And then that's the way I hunt. And just look back and think that at one point in time, I hunted the same stand, no matter what wind direction it was. And that tr- that stand was in the tree all year long. It's like, man, that is night and day difference. And, and that's one of the big things that you learn traveling is that, like, the ability to be mobile is key. When you go to a place that you don't know much about, you're learning on the fly. Like the ability to take the knowledge you learn on the fly and convert that into moves that you make instantaneously. That's how you kill big deer when you're on the road. Yeah. You can't sit there and lay up. You know, um, I don't know if you golf or uh, I do a little bit, not a whole lot, but you know, you can't lay up and hit the side of the water three or four times because you got to go after that deer, you know? And, and uh, that's, that ends up being the thing that translates the most to me that I've learned that helps me kill deer on the road. Right. I, so two yep. questions like popped to mind as you were, as you were kind of explaining that evolution. So one, you started mm-hmm. talking about hunting mobile 
And I'm just, and it was out of, out of necessity, right? Like you just like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have a lot of stands and I want to go to some different places, you know, so I got to do what yeah. I gotta do. But did you, you know, did you immediately start to recognize the benefits or how long did it start to take you to realize that the benefit wasn't only so much so that I could move when I wanted to, but that I was uh, trying to f- figure out how to, how to say this, that it wasn't, it wasn't just the ability to kind of move when I needed to, but it was also the ability to kind of, you know, uh, first time ambush, right. First sets the best sit. Mm. Right? And, yeah. um, I'm setting up now, you know, and just, instead of just being stuck in this one tree, I'm now going to move because now I can set up. So my thermal is helping my wind and I'm, and I'm, I'm getting the advantage while the deer still thinks he has the advantage. Like when did all that stuff mm-hmm. start to come into play with like your mobility kind of allowing you to achieve those things? Man, I'm pretty stupid to tell you the truth of the matter. It took a while. <laughs> uh, hey, you know, preach, man, preach. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. <laughs> um, I'm not young, but I'm not old. I'm 33. So uh, when you're uh, – some guys, when they're younger, they're smarter than I was. Like, I took a while to learn a lot of things through mm-hmm. life. I, I did some stupid stuff when I was young uh, outside of the hunting too, you know, mm-hmm. and – and had to be redirected a few times. And I think that's how it works in hunting. But the thing that you got to be mindful of is when it's time to learn, you need to learn it and make it permanent in the way that you operate. Right. Like, right. uh, I think that a big mistake for a hunter would be to like learn something on a specific hunt, but not be able to apply it later. Yeah. Uh, that that's, that's, you definitely need to be able to retain that stuff. So, uh, I love to give you super long answers, so I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I love it, man. I think that, that um, uh, I probably learned that around 2018 is when I started learning that song. Because that's when Tyler and I were really pulling our stands almost every set and trying to go in and surprise a buck. And we were always correlating trail camera data back then to, to make that happen. And we still do that a lot, you know, especially with cell cams nowadays. Uh, use Moultrie mobile cams and the ability to have that and not have to go in there and smell up a place to pull the card. You know, back then we would like go in, have a card reader or something with us. That way we could pull the card and hunt there and hopefully like correlate some stuff because you didn't right. want to like waste an intrusion on, uh, you know, just pulling a card. So you just go in, assuming you're going to hunt there, look at the card and see how good it has been in the area, you know, yeah, after fun. you've done some summer scouting or whatever. So I think 2018, we were, Tyler was after a pretty uh, specific buck on Texas public land that year. Um, and we were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. We hunted the same place a few times, but we'd always pull our stands and make sure we hunted on really good winds and that sort of thing. And we actually had to use uh, some kayak access across a, a body of water to get to this spot. So it was pretty bomb proof uh, access. It's just um, took me it took us till that year to probably realize uh, what that ambush really looked like. Right. Uh, so, and then I think too, to I know you have another question, and I'm probably distracting you, so I'm sorry. But man, uh, I'm literally writing thing, questions down as you're going because I'm like, <laughs> oh man, it just made me think of something else. Good, <laughs> good, good. So, uh, one thing that I think you have to do whenever you're thinking about that ambush, like first time in type thing, um, is to really try to understand how deer use the wind um, because hardly ever is the wind perfect for you 
as a hunter and the deer still do what you want him to do. hundred percent. Because like the thing that you're going to want to do as a guy who's starting to try this ambush type hunting, where you go in, hang and hunt and kill a deer is you're going to want to wait until that wind is the perfect Southeast for this setup. And there's, you know, your wind's blowing out across the water and the deer has no chance to smell you. Well, he knows he has no chance to smell anything around there. So he ain't going to be in there. Uh, nine times out of 10, that still can work out. And, you know, in mid-November, they're real dumb, so right. you know you can kind of get away with some things. Yeah. But overall, I shouldn't say they're dumb. Y'all know what I mean. I'm making jokes, but um, you know, you know, I think that with that ambush hanging hunt style stuff, it's real good to understand what the wind the deer thinks is advantageous for him, and try to go in and set up just off of that mm. to be able to make the kill. Otherwise, you can put in a lot of effort going in and doing a hanging hunt early in the morning and not see the deer that you're going in there at hundred percent dude. Like there's like, if I get asked, you know, if someone asked me like, you know, what, what are the two things, you know, <clears throat> or what are the things that, you know, helped me the most? Like when I started having the right kind of encounters and, and sticking the right deer and stuff like that. The first, mm-hmm. the first one is always, you know, once I was able to understand how the wind and thermals kind of work together in spots, you know, mm-hmm. that changed, that like changed my whole world. And it wasn't that I didn't know it prior to that. It was like, I still struggled to use it because I wasn't like, I'd slid up just slightly wrong or whatever the case was. Right. Or I would set up at a certain time of day and then just kind of forget that, Hey man, my thermals are going to change throughout the day based on the sun hitting the ground. And I need to account for that, you know? Yeah. So it was just, it was things like, um, it was things like that, that to me really kind of, you know, was the nail in the coffin. Like once I got that and didn't need to necessarily think about it anymore, that I could just get into a spot mm-hmm. and be like, Oh, this is how this is going to work. You know, kind of yeah. leveled up at that point. The other part that you mentioned, and I wanted to get back to, it's kind of a statement in question. Like, so you, you said, apply what you learn. And that's the other thing that I always kind of mentioned to folks. If they ask me again, you know, what help, you know, what two things kind of made the biggest difference for me was honestly travel hunting. And I've actually talked to Tony mm-hmm. Peterson about this, you know, where it's almost like I refer to it as making like a, um, like my, my head's a hard drive. Right. And the more things that I can see in different States, the more analogs I create for similar setups that I might see somewhere else. And so mm-hmm. even though I might be in a plane state, you know, a ditch crossing is a ditch crossing, whether I'm in Nebraska or whether I'm in, you know, Iowa, whatever the case mm-hmm. is, like they don't have to be yeah. exactly the same, but it could just be the role of the land. And I can go, Oh man, the wind did this in that spot. And this looks like a really, really similar setup to that spot. I think I need to set up like this, you know? Yeah, and so I start, man. it's almost like deja vu, but it's more so that I'm just recalling experiences I have. Do you kind of feel the same way that like when you started traveling a lot, like all of a sudden your setups became more precise because you just had so many analogs to kind of like harken back to that. I may have not have seen this exactly a hundred percent like I'm looking at it right now, but man, mm-hmm. I had two or three different experiences that felt really, really similar to this. Absolutely, dude. It's 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 you have such a good example or analogy there, and like the way I think of what you're saying is like it's like a word doc document template, and then you're just filling in the blanks, you know, uh, with all that in there. That's it's still what I love. Tyler and I like to talk about this a lot. Whitetail or whitetail, no matter where they are in the country, they have to do whitetail things. So you just take uh, and fill in the gaps with the things that you can put it, you know, in your favor, wherever you are in the country. And, uh, that's your strategy for getting close to big buck. Mm-hmm. Now I, I will say, um, 
there's some things that throw me off uh, because they're still so unpredictable, and that's why we love them, right? But, like, I can go out to a plane state and think I have something figured out, but then all of a sudden you're on a different property where there's 17 variables that you haven't considered yet, and, all, and the deer are doing something exactly opposite of what you think they're going to do. You know, so, like, there's always, like, like you're saying, like a new thing for the algorithm to encounter, right? Yeah. <laughs> and learn from. Um, and I'll say, too, like, uh, I haven't logged enough data in the hill country. Mm-hmm. Like, what I'm imagining that you might hunt quite a bit in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. you know, those, uh, you know, uh, what I would call ridges and hollers. I don't really know, yep. you know, whatever y'all call them there, but yep. uh, it's, that's tough for me. And so I've, I kind of, tend to shy away from hunting places like that just because i feel much more confident in other stuff now i i would like to go hunt some of it from time to time but uh well you got an open, you got an open invite here buddy anytime you want anytime you want <laughs> cool, man. i will uh i will oblige i will oblige you i got a sweet camper that i built that i turned into a a rolling kind of like trailer uh uh solar powered kind of hunting travel rig that you you got a place mm-hmm. to stay that's neat yeah, we'll we'll uh we'll 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 do it up. But it's funny because like I I get that from folks that maybe don't hunt ridges and stuff like that all that often. But it's I almost yeah. feel like it's easier because yeah, yeah I, I just feel like the in certain instances at least in certain setups like you're you're you know where the wind is going to be bad and you know where it's going to potentially be good typically. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the bedding is a little easier to kind of uh, a little easier to figure out as well. Um, yeah. and then you have like, uh, not, I don't want to say drastic, but you have, uh, obvious kind of terrain features that are going to have to move deer. You know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. like, you know, if they're taking the path of least resistance, they're, they're only going to go, but so many places from wherever they might be betting, whatever the, you know, whatever example we, we would use. And so yeah. I actually get more confused when I'm hunting a plain state. Cause I'm like, man, what's going to move? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> like there's no, like there's no ridge to push them in this one direction. There's no, you know, yeah. whatever the case is, if it's always blowing West, you know, if the wind's always blown from the West, they're going to end up in California. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, yep. it's, it, it's just, I find that kind of terrain to be more challenging for me, but it's also what's, you know, it, that is the most foreign to me as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And then you're, a lot of times you're more comfortable with what you grew up with or what you know how to hunt now or get the, the opportunity to hunt the most. Um, and I don't, I don't get to hunt the plains as much as I would like to, but I do hunt them quite a bit. I, you know, that's such a weird thing to say because I'm blessed and I get to hunt them a lot more than most people do, but yeah, right, I want right. to be there every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but um, it's, uh, I am very visually oriented when I hunt. So I like to be able to, See and make moves on deer and see what they're doing and 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 make assumptions according to some of the things that i can take in visually and i have a hard time with that uh you know in some of the more eastern hilly stuff where you know i would imagine that there's not many times you're seeing much over 100 yards where you're sitting oh goodness so, man i most of yeah. the time where i'm set up i a lot of my setups i might be able stretching it to see 30 yards mm-hmm. you know yeah and uh, with that comes another reason why you're like, oh, I'll leave the camera at the house. I can hardly see the deer anyways. You right. know? So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that's what I've dealt with my whole life in Texas. It's a thicket like that, you know, uh, even when the leaves fall, you know, seeing yeah. 50 yards is tough. Um, but when you're hunting small properties, it just is what it is. You're not that worried about seeing far. But, you know, some of these plain states, you can hunt a big old chunk, you know, 
big for me at least you know a couple hundred acres or whatever and and you know you you can make some moves when you can see that far and that's i really enjoy that yeah that was the one thing for me you know hunting some planes and stuff is that that i had to kind of recalibrate for was being able to see you know what i mean like it was Uh almost you know i would have a hard time imagining because you know here on on the east coast when you're hunting you know hills or mountains or whatever you know typically you're getting in like the thickest nastiest stuff you can find that just you almost feel like you're uh you know you're getting into like a a boxing match or a flight in a phone booth you know what i mean that's kind (laughs) of how it's set up you know and when i get out to some of those more wide open states and stuff i just feel a little bit you know, uh, I lose my wits just a uh, a little bit just because I'm able to kind of see so far and I kind of get paralyzed by all the information, you know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Where I'm like, man, yeah. I, where exactly do I set up here? Because I can see here, I can see here, I can see here. It's like, but it, be- it comes down mm-hmm. to what you were saying earlier, which is just, it's having that kind of like mobile mindset that if you can see it, you know, then you can make a move on it essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, tell Tyler sometimes that, uh, Sometimes you just got to be Indian, you know, and yeah. just go with uh, with your instinct and just go hunt and kill them. I, and I'm impulsive, and it makes me a good hunter sometimes, and it makes me a bad hunter other times. Uh, and this is why hunting with a, a hunting partner is so valuable, because Tyler is much more analytical mm-hmm. than I am. Uh, so he analyzes things a lot, and we have a very... Uh, balanced approach when we make decisions together because we just sit there and shoot holes in the boat until it sinks for almost everything we do. And it works really, really well. Uh, You've got to set some pride aside because you have to understand that um, it's not that your idea is stupid. It's just, we're trying to make sure that it is the best thing to do. And to do that, you're going to have to point out the flaws in, you know, and when you, if you're going to function with another person, you have to be able to set your pride aside anyways, you know, it's just how it goes. Yeah. Um, and it's a great thing. It makes me a better husband and father. Uh, not that I'm great at that, but I try <laughs> uh, <laughs> to be able to to do that. Right. But yeah. um, uh, Mark Kenyon, uh, if you know him, he's he has uh, talked about um, analysis paralysis mm-hmm. and something that he suffered with that. He's told us about that before, and I, I can definitely see where that's a thing. And uh, it's not something I struggle with too much, but but Tyler can can have it happen to him a lot my thing is i uh i'm a guess and check type guy so i can sometimes blow things out or not <laughs> do the right thing in the moment but at least i can always make a decision you know what i mean right. so uh within that we can usually come up with a really good plan right the other thing and i'm curious i know we talked about this a little bit whenever we spoke like i guess last week when we were kind of getting yeah like, dates and stuff set up the other thing that was mm-hmm. kind of a brand new thing for me whenever i started heading to the planes and stuff was just hunting from the ground. I love hunting from the yep. ground. I, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say it this way. I love hunting from the ground. It hasn't learned to love me yet. You know, <laughs> we're in a, oh, man. we're in a yes. one way relationship right now. You know what I mean? And we were, uh-huh. we were both kind of talking about that a little bit. Cause you, and I want to get to this, to this hunt, but you had a killer hunt, you know, in, uh, in the, in the plains and, uh, and it was, it was on the ground and, you know, and, while I was out there, I, you know, I'd say like 98% of the hunts I did while I was there was, was all on the ground and I just fell in love with it. But man, the smallest mistakes on the ground will just cost you big time. Things that you will get away with in a tree just do not fly on the ground. And how, how long of a learning curve was that for you? Um, in 20, 
me let me get my dates right. In twenty eighteen, um, I shot at my first buck from the ground and missed. Mm-hmm. And after that, hunted from the ground a whole lot and didn't kill a deer from the ground a buck from the ground i've killed some does from the ground uh, all over but i haven't killed a buck from the ground until uh 2021 and i shot two of them uh and Tyler and i have forever talked about how difficult it is to put it together on the ground and honestly the hunting from the ground is such a strange thing because some guys like say like you white tail adrenaline guys um chancing them like they uh savages dude. they can yeah yeah dude killers man they can put it together and trophy hunt from the ground and i i'm definitely after a big buck when i whenever i'm trying to hunt so i mean that's just i love killing big bucks right we all mm-hmm. do that's why you and i both have podcasts because right. we're eating up with it right? <laughs> so uh but like have to have um short-term memory tyler talks about this a lot because he was a a, a defensive back in college mm. and it's like you got to have short-term memory you know you might get burned from a, for a touchdown but you don't want to get burned for two of them right so you need to forget about your defeat and just focus on the next play same thing goes with deer um you're going to blow way more things on the ground than you are going to have success and um a lot of times when you're hunting from a tree if you blow it it just means you don't get your shot well if you blow it on the ground a lot of times you're spooking a deer and right. yeah. a big mature buck is only going to deal with that for so long. And that's what impresses me so much about uh, Nancy and Jared and them is that, dude, they can kill big, big deer from the ground, you know, uh, and it's cool. But, um, like, uh, I can't – it took me a while to, mm-hmm. to really learn it all. And that I think that that was the thing is when I first started hunting from the ground, I was trying to ambush hunt still. And I still do from time to time. And, you know, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll uh, – be headed out someplace that has a mix of of grassland and trees and i'll have my cruiser saddle on take it with me and then i might end up on the ground or i might end up in the tree just depending on the situation yep but like uh i was still for a long time trying to like set up make a little ground blind you know and the reason i was hunting from the ground is because there was no trees right well now i kind of hunt from the ground more because i trying to get in the way of a deer and that might be near a tree or it might not be if that can you see the difference in what i said yeah, there? it's no. kind of hard to explain no yeah. I, it, it it totally makes sense because i i used the same approach last year so truth be told like i kind of knew i was going to be heading to, to the plains in some capacity and that was a place i wanted to experience and so i was starting to hunt from the ground some here just even on the east coast in certain setups because they were just mm-hmm. good setups where i knew there weren't going to be a lot of people because there weren't a lot of trees you know and there was yeah. there was buck signs so i started kind of dabbling with it in that regard, I was doing the same thing as you. I was walking in with a saddle on. If I need to get to a tree, I'd get to a tree. Not now. I was doing the same thing in the in the plain state, and it was more about it. At least for me, it was more about. And I heard kind of. I, I talked to Jared a little bit before I went out there, and mm-hmm. and I've heard them. T- I've had them on the podcast before, and I've heard them talk about it. And it was all about a visual for them, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest thing. Like I didn't really understand it until I got out there. And realize, to your point, an ambush hunt can work, but you better know that dude is coming from X to Y. You know, yes. otherwise, like you were just going to be flying on a hope and a prayer. You know, mm-hmm. but your better chance is is get a visual first, watch that buck, 
make a plan and then execute the plan. And yes. we got burned on that on the first buck that we, we actually betted a buck in a draw and we just got too ambitious and went after him too quickly because we betted him at like, goodness, man, we probably betted him at like 830 in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, and we could have sat there all day and watched him and waited for him to get up, you know, and, and, and confirmed exactly where he was at. But we, we were all amped up. We're like, let's go. We busted out the, the decoy <laughs> and the rattling antlers and went after him, you know, and we got within yeah. probably 60 yards of him and then he blew out, you know? Yeah. And it was because we didn't hundred percent know where he was bedded. We had an eye. Well, he was actually bedded exactly where we thought he was, but we didn't know that until mm-hmm. we, until we jumped in, you know? Yeah. But so I totally <clears throat> understand what, you know, what you're saying. Like you're kind of going in wide open and you're kind of, prepared to kind of use whatever means that you have to use depending on if it's in a tree or not in a tree, or maybe you're just up against the tree for cover to get some shadow or whatever mm-hmm. the case is. Yeah. I think that even this season alone, just hunting the rut, I developed a lot. And I kind of forced myself to, because we were hunting, uh, first morning I was out there, uh, I was, I found a buck that was like a world-class type buck for me, like mm-hmm. a 170 plus, you know, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's why that number yeah. is there. And I've, dude, that's 30 inches bigger than anything I've ever shot. I'm like, come on, you know, let's, right. let's get after <laughs> come thing, on with you know? it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I chased that deer for like, uh, uh, probably seven days, mm. uh, had, uh, an encounter with him almost every day. And except for a few days where I just felt like the wind was just going to be real bad and I didn't need to go mess it up. But, um, you know, and, and what I learned by doing that is that, uh, at first I would have a destination in mind of where I was trying to get to. And then it developed into being the thing that you're talking about where like you put eyes on the deer and then you make a move according to what he's already doing. Now that's very specific though, because you can only do that in certain types of habitat, right? Yeah. Like if, if it's flat country, you're going to have a tough time because you're going to have to have a map out and kind of trying to correlate where he's headed because there's no steering of that deer with terrain. Right. Or if you're in wooded country, you know, like, uh, good luck. (laughs) You know, I don't, I don't even know where to tell you to start with that, you know? Uh, but, um, at least not being set up in an ambush situation, but being able to make moves, you know, you might have that deer go behind, uh, a thicket or a brush or something and be able to, shuffle 20 yards to the left or right where you're more in line with this path whereas like if you're set up in a ground blind and you're not even really ground hunting at that point in time you're just ambush hunting it's like you're from a tree but your shots are worse you know right. is about all there is to it. and that's how i ended up killing my, my my buck that you're talking about um we had just pulled up to this place that you could last from the truck and uh kind of had written off that other big buck hadn't seen him for a day and i was it was nine days into the hunt and i was like i need to I need to just find a deer to shoot because that's not really like me. I don't hardly ever have a target buck, you know, mm-hmm. and as a public land guy, um, that's not really a thing that happens for a lot of people. I don't think maybe it does. And I'm just terrible and can't find a target, but, uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, so that was a weird deal for me to spend that much time chasing a big deer, but he was worth it. And I learned so much from that deer and was, uh, he's beautiful. You know, like I'm not sore about it. That deer was awesome. I loved getting able to chase that thing around. But um, ended up finding the buck that I did glassed him up that morning and decided to just make a move up the canyon, uh, kind of slowly putting, you know, glass right over the edge of rises and stuff, trying to find him. And then, uh, dude, 
I thought we had about lost him. And then we were walking kind of down on this, uh, I don't know, washout edge, kind of a straight drop off. And I glanced ahead and I could see a main beam at like 40 yards and about lost my mind. You know, <laughs> it's like, you're like, well, I guess he's gone. And then, oh my gosh, there's a buck. Uh, and I didn't know how big he was uh, because all I could see was kind of uh, one tine in the end of a main beam. And it was kind of a little bit crab claw on that one. And I was like, well, if that's his, his third, he's not very big. But that, if that's his fourth or his fifth, he's real big. And uh, so I didn't really know. <laughs> I knew the deer was worth stalking. You know, I knew right. it was, he was a racked buck. You know, I didn't know what he was for sure. So whenever you're talking about that footage of me creeping up, I'm, I'm literally processing, where's the deer? Is it the buck that I saw? And is it a deer that I want to shoot all within all that, you know, little amount of time. And, uh, dude, it was wild. I can't believe I killed that deer to tell you the truth of the matter, because, uh, you know, stupid me, I should have known that he was with a doe and bedded with a doe, but it, I thought he was just bedded up in the spot. Right. So I'm looking for the buck I and mean, you can see it in the footage, but all of a sudden the doe blasts off right beside us. We had no idea. She was here. Freaks us out. You know, she's like five <laughs> yards away. And climbing a hill right next to us. And then, uh, you know, for a split second, I looked at her, saw no antlers. So I like right away, look back to find the deer. Sure enough, I see the buck. I'm already at full draw because I know it's about to be time to shoot. So I actually drew before I started creeping up to the edge being to be ready. Well, he's looking up at her at like eight yards away, he's super close, right? And I'm like, well, th I do not have much time. Uh, so I made a quick, second decision to shoot the buck um knew he was quartering away and looking up and i was like well this is a pretty good shot so i shot and he takes off out of the out of the brush and he is actually quite a bit bigger than i thought he was gonna be so i was yeah. i was very very happy because he takes off uh he's got an air hanging out of his uh opposite side you know pass through air is bloody and uh deer takes off over the rise and i'm like oh man that was awesome we just smoked a giant buck you know i'm kind of freaking out with my camera guy and then all of a sudden i see him come up the other side and then you know your heart sinks because you're like okay a mortally injured deer isn't going to be able to climb 30 40 feet uh so at that point in time it's anxiety to the max right yeah. and uh uh in, you know you've seen it people can go watch it if they'd like to i'd really appreciate it it's it's a really fun thing for us but to make it a little bit shorter what ended up happening was a couple things. The deer, I believe, was actually still bedded when I shot at him, and I thought he was up, uh, but I couldn't see his legs very good. I think he had just turned his his front half back to look at that doe, and I shot. And what happens when deer are bedded is their vitals kind of shift around in their body a little bit. So um, I hit that deer behind the shoulder. My arrow exits in his opposite shoulder like um kind of like at the point right so right. definitely all up in vitals um but uh i opened him up and, and looked at his lungs i i hit him in both lungs but it was right up at the front top of the lobe and i don't think like we are very um absolute when it comes to deer hunting in a lot of things right and i think that uh to borrow, uh, I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan, but I'm a nerd, dude. <laughs> so, like, to, to borrow a line from Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, only a Sith speaks in absolutes. And it's the same thing. Like, you shouldn't speak in absolutes because never nothing is absolute with deer. And what I think that uh, 
a double long hit is not they're not all the same and that's what i dealt with there he that deer was mortally injured but it was in the upper lobes of his lungs and it was going to take him a very long time for his lungs to fill with blood uh and and for him to expire and and so much so that go ahead no i'm just gonna say it probably would have been one of those things had he not had that doe not kicked out right and you shot him even in the same way and he didn't know something was up and weird Mm -hmm. he probably would have jumped up and been like what just happened walked off and then eventually just laid down and died most likely. Yes. Right. It's yeah. like, it's that, it's that spook factor where they're like mm. just going on like whatever adrenaline when you don't have the perfect shot, like it's going to die. It's just a matter of like how, how much is he spooked and, and how far is that going to push him before he decides to lay down and give it up? Yes. Yeah. And what was, that was so wild because we're in open country so I can watch him the whole time. Right. And the deer ends up looping around and he goes and kind of, beds down in this little finger and i'm thinking okay we're just gonna sit here for a couple hours and let him expire because i know dude i, I saw the arrow at eight yards i knew it was a good shot or good in quotes right and uh then uh you know like after 30 minutes i already called tyler and told him you know as soon as i shot i, I called him like hey man shot a big buck uh but he's not dead yet and it's weird so you might come over here um i know sooner or later we're gonna have to get this deer out because uh, i was confident he was gonna die well, we see that deer get back up, and so I tell Tyler, hey, man, go, why don't you go down the, the drainage here just in case, you know, that way if this deer, uh, you know, takes off running or whatever, you'll be down there to kind of, uh, you know, finish him off or whatever, but not thinking that it would never happen, right? And right. then uh, the deer, like, goes and sits under a cedar tree for 30 minutes and then does, like, what a duck does when you shoot them on the water and they land on the water, he did a recoup mm-hmm. and just got up. And started walking like he was fine and uh so then i hustle around make a big old loop to get in front of him uh and i'm i think i'm down in the creek bottom where i'm going to be able to, to finish him off well uh i think the trail he's going to take is at 75 he ends up actually up the ridge a little bit he's more like 95 and i didn't even have time to adjust my sight and i just tried to hold over and i uh, end up hitting low on him and um or missed him low uh sorry and uh, I think it's over. He runs after that. And I'm like, gosh, dude, like, I just messed this whole thing up. And I'm never going to see the deer again. And then Tyler calls me in 30 seconds and says, he's dead, dude. He's laying right here. I'm like, no, what? <laughs> <laughs> I lost my ever-loving mind, dude. Yeah. I absolutely lost it. And, uh, you know, gosh, I try to keep composure. But sometimes I, I'm a pretty emotional guy. And I'll. I'm kind of wired, kind of high, you know? So, like, at that moment, it was, like, you know, elation. Right, right. Yeah, dude, it was bananas. Yeah. Like, I couldn't believe it. Like, I, I, my heart sank whenever, that's like, when you missed that second shot, I was, yeah. like, yeah, I was watching me the video. <laughs> I was watching the video, and I was, like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like, he's not going to, like, yeah. this deer's going to just, like, vanish, and he may go lay down and die somewhere, but, like, at, at this point, he's going to just be pushed so hard. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, anyone out there who hasn't seen it needs to go check that out in addition to all the other stuff you guys are doing but uh the uh i know we've been on here for about an hour man and i want to be sensitive to your time here on a friday uh afternoon i could sit here and talk to you for days we're gonna have to do a second and maybe even a third one of these uh hey i'm all about it man i I enjoy talking talking about this stuff you know it's great to be around other people who are passionate about it and sorry i talked 
so much. You know, I, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk and tell some stories and stuff, man. And, dude, you're and, gonna uh, you're gonna have cool. more opportunities, dude. Because I'm just I, I love <laughs> I love having you on. This has been a, a killer conversation. But before, I always like to end with one specific question here. All right. Yeah. You're making a a team of public land whitetail hunters, and your life depends on them filling three tags. You're making a three on three basketball team, right? Okay. You can pick anyone who is living, not living, famous, not famous, whatever the case is. Who are the three people you're going to count on to fill tags to save your life? Okay, so I'm not one of the three, right? Uh, you can be or can't be, but I usually say you're the coach. Okay. I usually kind of approach I'm going to be a coach, coach for yeah. sure. I'm going to be a coach for sure <laughs> and let somebody else do the shooting. So, uh, man, uh, I can't not name Tyler Jones. Right. I mean, he is he is my hunting partner, my best friend, and I trust him with my life, man. So, like, the dude is a killer. He's killed way more big deer than I ever will. Uh, so he's definitely going to be on the team. Um, I'm going to pick Chancey Walters mm-hmm. because only because he uses a compound and Jared uses a uh, trap <laughs> And I think that Chancey's going to kill more deer right. because of that. So you can tell him I said that. Um, <laughs> So, and Chancey's just a stone cold killer, dude. He's just, uh, uh, I love Chancey because he's so instinctive. Mm -hmm. Like we've had him on the show a few times, I think. And like, he's one of those guys who does a good job of of telling stories and telling why, telling you why he did stuff. But he actually sometimes makes moves and he can't tell you why he did it, but Mm -hmm. he killed the deer. You know what I mean? Like he's just that in tune with them. And I want to be like that Wednesday. So I'm going to put him and then, um, Man, that next one's tough because it's one spot, but um, there's nobody I trust more probably to fill a tag than Tony Peterson. TP, mm, yeah. uh, like, um, especially his ability to kill deer in September and October is yes. super impressive. I have a ton of respect for that dude. Yeah, talk to him often. I'm actually, going to hunt with him this fall, and nice. uh, I'm sure he's going to he's going to show us up, of course, you know. But. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tony, uh, I've learned so much from Tony, especially about hunting around water. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's something that I've never done before. And after talking with Tony about it quite a bit, I actually killed a public land buck in Oklahoma this past year uh, over water, over a pattern over water. And like I would have never had the confidence to do that without Tony. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think those are my three. Nice. But there's a long list. If, if somebody gets traded or gets sick or something, <laughs> I got a long list of other dudes, you know. Uh, my buddy, Zach Fairball, you know, he's, he's on the alternate list for sure. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. just, uh, I can't have somebody with better hair than me on the team, <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, that's fair. That's where you gotta, you gotta yeah. have, you gotta have those head and shoulder, uh, sponsorship dollars, right? You gotta, that's you right. That. That's right. I can't spread that <laughs> stuff out too far. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome, brother. Dude, well, hey, I'm serious, man. You got an open invite. Anyone, anytime you want to come back on here, we're going to do this again. I, Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I dig what you guys are doing on the channel. Uh, if anyone hasn't checked it out, check out the element. But before you go, let people know where they can find out more about you, more about what the element has going on. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate the opportunity, Clint. It's been a lot of fun, and like we said, uh, good talks, man. I'm sure that we have a lot more that we can talk about. So yeah. let's do it. But um, the element uh, at the element wild, I think, is is what you're going to find us at on um, socials uh, and. The Element YouTube channel, of course, is where we have a lot of content. We have the Element podcast where we do uh, 
our whitetail and other stuff. You might hear us talk about growing heirloom tomatoes or who knows what on that thing. But <laughs> uh, uh, we do we do a lot of stuff on that and then socials. But, um, you know, I'd probably direct people to, to YouTube the most because um, that's where podcasting is great. I absolutely love it because it allows you to talk to so many people and do so much stuff. But we put a ton of work into our, our YouTube channel and, and producing uh, quality video that uh, I think people can not only enjoy and be entertained by, but also hopefully learn from, or at least learn what not to do. Actually, the most recent video we released was our 2021 bow hunting fails. So uh, there's a lot of videos of us getting smelled by deer on there. So go watch that one. <laughs> nice, man. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, dude. You have yourself a, a good uh, a good Fourth of July holiday here that's coming up, and uh, I'll be in touch soon, and we'll uh, we'll do part number two in the not so distant future. Absolutely, man. I really appreciate it. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.